CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. I won't just turn the car around. I'm going to shut it off. I'm going to kick you out and I'm going to make you walk home. This Bendrovsky Show Benny J bonus interview is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, and the Chicago Federation of Labor. Benny J, take it away. Bonus time on the Bendrovsky Show. As I speak, it's Friday, September 4th, 2020. The headline of my Sun-Times has a picture of, well, there's a, the front page has a picture of young Joseph Joe Biden uh, with a mask on and a microphone in hand, and it says, Biden preaches healing in Kenosha. Come on, oh, man. man. Yeah, come on, man. Biden's stealing half my lines. I've been saying, come on, man, since the 70s. Joe B., I know you're stealing my stuff. Uh, as I do with all of my distinguished guests uh, for bonus time, I ask my distinguished guest to introduce him or herself. So, distinguished guest, introduce yourself. Stacy Davis Gates, mother of three um, with elementary school schedules that's making my head explode right now. All right, that would be, and you're also, uh, your day job is. Man, I don't know if I can have a day job with these schedules Chicago Public Schools sent me this week, but um, in my spare time, I am the vice president for the Chicago Teachers Union. All right. Uh, so you're here as a mother, as a teacher, as an activist, as a union official, and as a dear friend of the Ben Jarowski Show. All of the above. And, and I got to say something. I told you I was going to say this. Mm-hmm. But one thing, I've known uh, Stacy. Uh, I want to say about eight years. You, you, I met you soon after you went to work for Karen mm-hmm. as a legislator, as a lobbyist downstate. I've been dealing with Stacey Davis Gates on phone calls, long involved, uh, off the record phone calls. I've had her in every studio, in front of every microphone, whenever I had a show. Uh, she's been a, a regular and willing guest. She's driven me in her car places. She drove, drove me all the way from the far northwest side to the south side. I know her brother. I know her father. And it's funny how people try to mess with my mind and they tell me, Ben, you don't know the real Stacy Davis Gates. And I, I got to tell you, Stacy, unless you're Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, I think that's an attempt to... My mess with my mind. I was going to say a swear word that Dennis asked me not to say, but they're trying to mess with my mind about you. And a lot of people did that to me regarding Karen Jennings Lewis. And everybody knows how much I love Karen. After a while, they stop because they knew it wasn't going to work. You know what I'm saying? I had a relationship with Karen Lewis that they couldn't mess with. But it's I so I'll just ask you, is there another Stacey Davis Gates that I don't know about? a secret SDG that I don't know about? Yes, she wears house dresses, watches reality television, and um, has a secret burner account on Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, I don't know, politics in Chicago. Um, If you're not on the same team, then you're trash. If you're on the same team, then you're golden. It's, it's, It's fickle. It's petty, it's um, debasing, it's personal. Um, And I would also say, like, particularly for women and black women, because it's not a lot of us in, um, like, the political sphere. And I'm not talking about the people elected to office, um, public office. I'm saying in, you know, some of the ancillary positions and labor and other spaces, um, you know, People don't know how to take you, especially if you live in your truth, you speak your truth and you make no apologies for how complicated and complex living in Chicago is, working in Chicago is, existing as a female, existing as a black female. Um, It's what it is. And period. 
I don't know. Um, you got you for me in this work. It's it's been really hard since March. Um, things are like uber personal because you're still at home doing your work. Your kids are there. Your husband's there. You know, you used to have the separation between um, home and office. You know, the car trip home gives you an opportunity to disconnect a bit. You don't even have that anymore. Um, I don't know. You know, people need to have a fuller life. Um I hope I'm not taking up that much space rent free in their heads because they're wasting their time. If that's the case, um, I really just want to watch trash TV and, <laughs> and, and drink a cherry Coke. I mean, like, honestly, that's it. Uh, trash TV. All right. I'll, I'll refrain from asking you what's uh, on your playlist. And so we can stick to the issues today. Maybe we'll close by asking what's on your playlist. Um, all right. Uh, another reason why I think uh, that uh, people are trying to demonize you mm-hmm. uh, is because uh, you represent the left in Chicago. And I have a lot of fun with this because I always say I live in lefty land. Uh, and um, generally, usually there's at least a population of one, me. Uh, and then, but every now and then we get a few more. And it sometimes had this headline. I mean, I had so much fun making fun of it. Uh, it was like, what do lefties think? Or something like, I forget, but they had lefties and they had it in quotes. And I had a laugh because it was sort of like, lefties were these strange subspecies of human <laughs> beings that we quite don't understand. And yet they exist in the city of Chicago. And then they, so who did they interview? But you, and there was a picture of you and you're wearing these Converse All-Stars. I had to give you credit for the All-Stars. No, those were Jordans. Those weren't All-Stars. Those were the first Jordans. Those are the ones. Let's. I'm sitting here stunned. I think they were. You're telling me those were not Converse All Stars? No, sir. I wear Converse All Stars in the summer. That was in the early spring. No, those are my Jordans. I only wear canvas in the summer. I sit corrected, but I still think I'm right. Anyway, neither here nor there. <laughs> You're wearing gym shoes. Uh, so. All right. Am I over, am I just too sensitive, Stacy, to just feel as though I and lefties like me have been marginalized? Did, did they just marginalize us on a regular basis so they can ignore us? What's your thoughts about this? Look, I think that people are having a tough time understanding how the agenda of the left is now a mainstream agenda. Black Lives Matter polls very high. I think the last poll I saw, it was polling at about 75% in Chicago. Um, I think we are dealing with the fact that Medicare for all, universal health care, is polling off the charts and most Americans want that. Um, Mainstream wants to continue to marginalize the left. Heck, the DNC wants to continue to marginalize the left um, because it draws um, a starker contrast between the Republicans than we have with the mainstream DNC. Um, You know, just this week you have dueling commercials from both Joe Biden and um, Donald Trump about law and order. And Campaigns are about contrast, but they are, you know, the DNC is searching hard for the middle ground with respect to mainstream America. Um, So instead of dealing, I think, expressly with how important it is for us to have um, space and clarity with the issues that impact the folks in our cities. Um, Look, unemployment Um, for black men nationally is over 50%. Unemployment in Chicago for black men has been that um, around that number um, proportionally for a very long time. Um, And so we haven't gotten to the point of where the core, you know, ride and die supporters of the Democratic Party is focusing on um, the issues that matter the policies that can actually transform um, spaces, especially in urban America, especially in black America. Um, So you marginalize it. You say it's like fringe, the lefties over there and not really most people. Honestly, had Barry, Bernie Sanders, did I say Barry? That's funny. Um, Thinking about football. Um, If Bernie Sanders had really, 
campaigned, you know, to black communities, I think we would be in a different situation today. Um, you know, Brandon Johnson, County Commissioner, First District, he says it all the time that fundamentally the issues of the left are the issues of black folks and have been issues of black folks um, since we um, were here in America. You know, this idea of public education, just the entire idea of public accommodation is, is a thing that you can trace back to the voices of black people in America. So, um I don't know. I, you know, this is this has just really been an, um, a tremendous six months we have been existing in. Uh, by the way, Brandon Johnson was a supporter, as I recall, of Elizabeth Warren. Just want to point that. I didn't want anybody to think that uh, Stacey was saying that Brandon was a uh, Bernie supporter. He was. Uh, he came <laughs> on the show and uh, gave a heartfelt endorsement uh, for Elizabeth Warren. Uh, the issues of the left are the issues of for a Black America. Jesse Lewis Jackson said that in 1988 when he ran for president of the United States. His agenda, I always love pointing this out because so many people come on the show and they tell me, well, Ben, you don't understand. Uh, the black community is a lot more conservative than you think it is, or the black community is more conservative than you are. And I go, that's funny. I lived through Harold Washington. That guy was every bit of a leftist as I was, and he got 99% of the black vote. And I lived through Jesse Jackson's campaign in 1988. He's even more left than I am, I think. And he got 90-something percent of the black vote. So what's going on here, Stacey? How can people keep telling me how conservative the black community is? Well, I think what folks are referring to is what they would like for it to be versus what it is. Could you imagine... um, South Carolina had Bernie invested the amount of time and resources and personal space to the voters in South Carolina, um, we would be in a different position. The left has had a very hard time identifying itself in ways that isn't white or male. Um, I think, though, that there is some hope. So you have Jeanette Taylor here in Chicago. You have Brandon Johnson here in Chicago. But you also have Cori Bush out of Missouri who's going to be the newest member of the squad. You have Ayanna Presley in Massachusetts. The more that we get um, national figures who are youthful, who are bold, who have um, a very authentic space and voice, um, a track record of real work, I I think we'll begin to see the shift I think we're already seeing the shift. Younger voters, voters under 50, are more likely to identify um, with the left spectrum than voters over 50. Um, and yet the issues that resonate with all demographic, all the, 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 the span of the ages within the black voting electorate, they all identify with like Medicare for all. They identify with increased funding and support for public education. They identify with, you know, providing more resources for um, the public sector and making sure that neighborhoods are affordable and folks have jobs. Um, So I think we are turning the ship, obviously. And one of the things that I do know about voters, and this is not just black voters, but voters across the board, we have to see ourselves. Um, it has to be identifiable. You have to look at a person and say, oh, OK, that's my people. Oh, I hear her. I, I understand what she's saying or I understand what he's saying. And so it's very important to have authentic surrogates um, who are engaged and who are doing the work on a local level. So the more that we see people like Brandon, people like Jeanette, people like Rosanna, people like Carlos, people like Byron, you know, and I could, I can continue to name them because it's more than it was 10 years ago. Right. Um, the more we'll see, um, the platform shift, the number of people who activate in the same way, um, be elected to office. Look, Before Karen Lewis, you know, led the Chicago Teachers Union, put forth one of the biggest fights that this country has ever seen in 2012, and then herself became a leading candidate um, to lead this city, you didn't have left 
in Chicago as boldly organized and um, unapologetic as it is right now, you know, and that's a black woman on the left. Right. So, you know, I can blush when I see that for the Sun-Times, but because I was here and I'm old enough to remember, it wasn't like that. And, you know, Karen, she she plowed a lot of ground for us in a very short amount of time. Well, she did. Uh, all right. So you talk about people needing to see people that are like themselves. Are you excited by Kamala Harris's uh, place on the ticket? Um, so I think representation has limits. Right. And representation is also necessary in order to move the agenda. One of the things that mainstream Democrats have been um, experts at doing is erecting um, neoliberal black elected leadership. Um, You know, President Obama, Kamala, Cory Booker, you know, there's a long list of those individuals. And I think because the left has been reluctant to provide space and leadership, um, voice and organization to black leadership in the same way we see what we have. Um, Kamala and others exist on the neoliberal fringe only because, I I don't want to say only, but I do think that there has to be some introspection on the left as to why we lose good people who seemingly understand the policies, the values um, to the neoliberal mainstream um, wing of the the, the party, right? Um, I think the left has to take some responsibility for being right about black issues, but not ceding um, authority and agency to black people within the movement. And I see this is this is where we are. Look. I'm voting for Biden and Kamala. I, I am as left as they come with most things. I, I am deeply disturbed by, you know, the baggage that they come to this campaign with. I am also um, clear about the work that we have to do when they win in November. But we have work to do. Like, and here's the hope. You saw Marky... Um, in Massachusetts, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That dude didn't start off talking about I'm a member of the honorary member of the squad. Like that wasn't his, uh, like if you go back in time and pay attention to how he led, what he said, how he interacted, that wasn't his space. Not in the least was that his space. It's his space now because you have people in Massachusetts who were organizing him. You have people who were holding him accountable. You have spaces where he had to shift because the environment required that shift. So if when people tell you to shut up and go home or protest doesn't work, you look at that dude in Massachusetts. So there's a responsibility to get Trump out. And then there is a there is probably a more important responsibility right after that happens to stay in protest, to stay in organizing, to get the type of agenda through Congress and on the president's desk that reflects the needs of, of real people like police got to stop killing black people, man. And, and and we got to stop with this trope of, you know, the one good cop or the one bad cop. We're not talking about people. We're talking about institutions. We're talking about impact on, a, in, on an entire race of folks. Right. And so we need that. That that that's not maybe that that is a definitive need that folks are dying. You saw our, our brother from Chicago who was obviously having um, a mental breakdown and and you send cops who don't have that type of training and the training that they do have is not training that they, they're not giving out hugs. Right. You don't become a cop to give out hugs. Um, you know, Trump told us already is law and order. Now, if you believe anything about him, believe that part of it, because that's accurate. It is about law and order. It's about keeping black people in their place. That is the original that is the original intent of this policing in our country is to keep P 
people, my ancestors on a plantation working. And then once they were off the plantation, it was their role to put them in prison because that's where, you know, slavery is still legal still. And, and so like this whole concept though, that we need and our needs are immediate and we're going to have to like, see past elections and create the ground, the infrastructure to shift priorities and platforms. All right. Uh, I'll get to the role of police in society and we'll get into school stuff, but just, I just want to go back to the Markey, uh, 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 analogy you made. Uh, Edward Markey, a longtime congressman uh, in Massachusetts, was more or less a moderate. He's a U.S. senator, and he defeated uh, the baby Kennedy, uh, Joseph Kennedy the third. I want to say, uh, by running to the left of a Kennedy. That's pretty okay. remarkable. Never thought I'd see that happen uh, in Massachusetts politics. But something about the left, they could be very unforgiving. And uh, so... I he you 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 mentioned that he shifted, and he shifted because of pressure and etc. I buy that. I agree with that. But at some point, my friends on the left had to get off their high horse and allow people the chance to shift. Are you going to hold someone accountable for what he or she did twenty years ago? Then Elizabeth Warren would not be your candidate. And Brandon Johnson supported Elizabeth Warren, even though she started out as a Republican. And I, I, I applaud Elizabeth Warren for having gone through a transformation. I think it sh- speaks well to her, uh, Stacey. I just feel sometimes people on the left, they look back at uh, like Joe Biden's record in the 90s or Kamala Harris's records in the O's and they go, that's it. I'm coming to this conclusion about this person. I can't vote for this person. I trust, talk, trust me when I tell you, I talk to a lot of people on the left and I just think you got to give them a break every now and then. What's your thoughts on that? Stacey Davis Gates. I don't, one of the things that I, and I don't even think this is just a left thing is that people fail to see the complexity and want things to fit neatly into a good container or a bad container. Right. And and the, and the, and there are some things that definitely fit in there, like killing black people, um, you know, state sanctioned murder of black people. That 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 to me is in the bad container, obviously. That being said, those containers have a place. And then there's also this gray area that we exist in more or less as individuals, as people who make decisions. So, you know, Trump is terrible. Like Trump should not win another term. And it is possible that he could win another term. Right. Joe Biden wasn't my first, my second, my third, my fourth, my (laughs) fifth, my sixth, my seventh. Like he was not on my dance card. Right. And yet he's the nominee. So I'm making that choice. That's not a choice with respect to good or bad. That is a choice you make because you have to survive. Yeah. And people make sur- choices around survival all the time. And we have to leave room for context. We have to leave room for um, historical precedent. We have to leave room for the fact that You know, choices for women, choices for, you know, marginalized populations in this country have been limited and that it's not always easy to see the good or the bad, especially when you're living in spaces where good and bad are kind of the same. Wow. Good. That's that's a dreadful thought. Um, I'll show you a contrast between Donald Trump and Joe Biden. You tell me what you think about it. They both came to Kenosha in the aftermath of the shooting by police of uh, Jacob Blake. And uh, Donald Trump came uh, preaching law and order, which I I think is kind of funny since he's right now uh, being accused of rape. Just throwing that out there. Uh, So it's interesting dynamic. uh, The man accused of rape uh, is preaching law and order. Just throw that out there, Stacey. Uh, And he preached law and order and his unabiding uh, support of the police, regardless of the the consequences, Uh, except for, of course, when the police are investigating him for his crimes, then he's not, not so much... Uh, support of the police. Uh, Joe Biden, on the other hand, came uh, to Kenosha and preached love and met with Jacob Blake and Jacob Blake's family. And uh, so two different sentiments expressed. I am so cynical and so 
pounded over the head by my experience of the last good God, almost 40 years in Chicago, Stacy, 40 years that I believe, please tell me I'm wrong, that hate will beat love. The Beatles had it wrong. Love will not win. In the end, hate wins. And that's why I fear that Donald Trump can get reelected. Because if you preach hate to the American people, if you tell white people that they should be scared of black people, they will win be. their vote. They so, will be. Oh, Stacey, you're supposed to fill me with optimism and good cheer. I'm sorry, I can't fill you with optimism on that one. Like, I look, I'm struggling too. I am, this has not been an easy six months for me. Look, Black people are dying disproportionately from COVID. And not because we don't wash our hands, but because of all of the pre-existing um, comorbidities that are are in existence, the lack of healthcare, and now they're trying to close Mercy Hospital on the South Side, right? Mm-hmm. You know, grocery stores. You have whole communities that are within food deserts. Ken Griffin dropping twenty million dollars in an anti-billionaire tax campaign because he would prefer to give you what he wants you to have. You know, same dude who said that Rom should have closed over 100 schools on black and brown kids. Like, it's difficult to have a lot of, you know, hope in that way. Look, I've been black my whole life and, and, and I grew up with people who were black their whole life. Ben, I'm only one generation removed from picking cotton in Eudora, Arkansas. OK, like wow. real talk. And so if you grow up with a, uh, with a grandmother who had an actual experience that people um, watch in, in movies about Mississippi, then you have a certain consciousness about white supremacy you, that is like a living embodiment. It's not a book. It's not a theory. It's not a documentary. It's the woman taking you to school. It's the woman taking you to the mall. It's the woman whose house you go over for, you know, holidays. Right. You're getting a real story on it. So I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. It's almost like what took you all so long, you know, to break out like this. It's 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 a backlash from having a black president who wasn't able to perform magic for this country, (laughs) you know, and and um, and Donald Trump brought him out like we have people. It's not Donald Trump. That's the problem. It's the people who vote for him. Yeah. Like Donald Trump gets to exist. The difficulty is, is that folks haven't paid attention to the folks who are voting for him. And if I hear one more commentator talk about black people need to turn out, my head is going to explode because black people turned out for Hillary. They turned out for Obama. They turned out for every Democrat that runs for president. Who didn't turn out for Democrats is the question. And why aren't you talking to them at Thanksgiving dinner? Why are you avoiding difficult conversations with people that you call your cousin, your mother, your brother, your uncle, your aunt? Right. Why are you avoiding those conversations and shifting the blame to people who always has America's back? Like even when America doesn't have ours. You sound like uh, Doc Rivers. uh by the way, that was one of the most profound things. I know you're, uh, the people may not know this here. Just the Stacey Davis gets a huge basketball fan. And I know that uh, Doc Rivers quote must have had a big impact on you. Uh, we've talked about it on the show a lot. That Doc Rivers coach of the Clippers, he said, um, we have always loved America or our country, but our country hasn't loved us back. And when you said that, just. The first person to die in the American Revolution was a black man. He wasn't brought to America to become um, the top merchant on the East Coast. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And yet he died for what we said this country was supposed to espouse for everyone. Like our, 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 our literal, the Supreme Court, Dred Scott, the three fifths in the Constitution. I mean, I could go on and on the clause in the 13th Amendment that legalizes slavery in the penal system. Like there's always been a trap door, the Voting Rights Act that you have to continue to renew. You know, we have made this country live up 
to the Declaration of Independence, live up to its constitution, live up to the amendments. We've done that. And yet we are still in the streets saying things very similar to every generation that came before us. It's, it's discouraging. It really is discouraging. Yeah, it really is. And I urge everybody, uh, I've been talking a lot. If, if, uh, if you just want some uh, validation of what Stacy is saying, you should recast by Isabel Wilkerson because she, I, Stacy just got finished saying some people live it. Some people have to read it in a book, but you read this book. I mean, she just lays it out there. Everything you just said, Stacey, uh, with like a historical analysis and backed it up and supported. Uh, I urge everybody to read that book. All right, Stacey, let's go uh, move uh, to uh, school issues. And something else that uh, I found interesting, and I gave you some homework. I sent you an article that appeared. I was giving my guest homework. I'm surprised that him <laughs> still come on the show. You're uh, a teacher. <laughs> it's like, oh man, I gotta read another article. Um, so this is an article that appeared in the New York Times, and I just had to shake my head and kind of smile at it. There's a story about uh, Mayor De Blasio in New York uh, trying to figure out what he's going to do. He's really urgent, eager to open up the schools in New York. Show what a great mayor he is. Somehow or other, that's a reflection of his uh, being a mayor, great mayor, uh, and. Very early on in the in the lead, they talk that the biggest challenge to Mayor de Blasio is the powerful New York Teachers Union. I'm like, no, the biggest challenge is the virus. My God. Like, so oh my God. <laughs> and they always make the teachers union the bad guy. In a pandemic. That's killing people that yeah. kill like over, what is it? 70 people who work for the Department of Education in New York, like literally killed workers at the height of the pandemic. And now it's the teachers who are keeping the schools closed. It's just like, dude, no, the pandemic is doing that. Like the actual pandemic that's actually killing everyone from children to, uh, to senior citizens that's what's keeping everything closed, by the way. It's not just the schools, and it should until you have it. Like, where are the contact tracers? Remember, we used to hear about contract con- contact uh, tracing and that there were going to be all these contact tracers out there. We were hearing about, you know, a timeline on the vaccine. We were listening to, like, all of these things that were going to be done to keep people safe. And somehow, death from COVID-19 has become normalized that you even heard the, the, the guy in that white house talk about herd immunity, this stuff. It, it is amazing how business owners and not bit mom and pop business owners. I'm talking about corporations have made allowances for death so they can continue to figure out how to like keep the economy going. Right. It's, 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 it's amazing that human life means very little to most of the people who are running this country where the wealth is concentrated. And y'all fighting with a teacher's union about saying we need a sneeze guard, we need signs, we need actual like re, um, 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 rehabilitation to ventilation units in school buildings, but y'all love kids. And every campaign, someone has something out there about education and and we have to do it for our children. Well, you first got to keep them alive. Well, I I get this. uh, This sense that somehow or other, uh, the uh, the Chicago Teachers Union is put in the same position as that New York Teachers Union. I don't know anything about the New York Teachers Union. I don't follow it. I've obsessively followed the history of the Chicago Teachers Union for a long, long time. but somehow or other, that New York Times reporter or reporters felt it was okay to put that bias in that lead paragraph. Okay, uh, I sense the same bias in Chicago. You sense? I sense the same bias. I get it all the time. And you I, know and what? What's amazing, Ben? I'm I'm going to interrupt you because no. like it 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 it's not even sensing a bias. It's that. People want us to accept a dangerous situation as standard operating procedure. And then they get pissed off when we say, nah, 
Like, how are you mad at someone for saving their own life? How are you mad at someone who recognizes their responsibility to our greater society? Like, those things are, like, deeply problematic to me. That you are getting um, criticized for understanding the deadliness of COVID-19, the inability of our district to put procedures and process into place to keep people safe, the antiquated nature of our ventilation system, and you mad at me for saying it out loud and saying, like, look, we can't do this. Honestly, had we not done it, we needed to have been fired on the spot. Because if you can't keep people safe, then you don't need to have the job. Like, fundamentally, what, we're going to wait for OSHA under Donald Trump to come save us? It's, it's, it's amazing. But see, this is, I, I think why I'm so comfortable in this space that I'm occupying right now is because this is what you have to do as a black woman. You have to represent yourself. You have to keep yourself safe. You have to protect yourself. You have to speak up for yourself. You have to be your own best cheerleader. You know, it's just like you got to take care of you. You can't depend on a system. You can't depend on an institution. You can't depend on a society to do it. You have to do it yourself. So it's not hard for me to get there and say, yeah, no, nah, I don't think these people are going to do it. I don't think this institution understands this. So we got to figure it out for ourselves, because if we don't, we're toast. Yeah. And I don't see it. Uh, anything happening and again. Uh, disagree with me i know you will if you if you do i don't see any changes happening uh that could uh, answer all your concerns uh it without um some kind of vaccine i mean when you talk about some of these old school buildings and the lack of ventilation i'm afraid to go my little used to come into that little studio all the time for our, our interviews right. and i I'm not going back there. And the sometimes doesn't want me going back there. You know what I'm saying? That is just like a, a Petri dish. And I have the feeling that many Chicago classrooms are similarly Petri dishes. And so Stacy, I do not know with the limited amount of money that Chicago seems willing to allocate for public schools. I do not know how we can address these safety concerns in the midst of this pandemic without a vaccine. Do you agree with me or disagree with me? Look, um, you talk about classrooms. Let's talk about um, the the offices where clerks work, where some of the windows don't even open, and the ventilation is shot. Let's talk about some of the closets um, our clinicians work in, um, where ventilation is not an issue because it's not even a classroom, it's not even an office, it's a closet. So. None of that is like missed on me, you know, the way in which you pose it. But it's this reckoning that Chicago is unwilling um, to to encounter, just completely unwilling. The politicians ain't like up until July. Lori was sending us back to school. Period. No questions asked. That was that. That's where she stood. Even as the positivity rates were going up in neighborhoods, double digits, right? Not the aggregate, but the ones in the neighborhoods where we're actually living and working. That's one. Two. What will it take for parents to understand this as well? You know, you have some parents who are like black parents and Latinx parents both locally and nationally said that they would keep their kids home because they understood COVID. And you know why they understood COVID? Because they've experienced COVID. My family's experienced COVID. I actually don't know a black family, like friends who have not like experienced COVID, right? That's number one. Number two, we don't have this conversation out loud, but families use schools as like, child care too and we have a child care deficit in our country where we have women who are the sole breadwinners and heads of households and only parents who need child care and it isn't available so what do they do 
right, during a pandemic, do they send their kid back to school or do they lose shelter? Do they send their back kid back to school or do they lose shelter and food and health care? Because, you know, health care in America is tied to your employment and not just because you need it. So you have people again, this ain't a this is not a good box. This is not a bad box. This is not a good container. This is not a bad container. These are questions that people are answering because they have to survive. And so until our country can say universal basic income, look, I'm going to pay you to stay home, to save our lives. Look, I'm going to figure out how to support your family in this moment. We have to move the discussion outside of can we open schools because it's a vaccine. The question is, can we give families the necessary monetary uh, support to sustain themselves while we get this pandemic under control so we can open up America? Uh, we could do that to answer your question if we chose to do it. Instead, we have people like Ken Griffin spending $20 million uh, on a campaign, $20 million on a campaign to defeat uh, raising the top rate on the wealthiest people uh, in Illinois. So he's spending $20 million so that he ultimately will spend less in taxes over the years. It's, I guess it's an investment on his part. Yeah, but you have a black woman, a black queer woman who is the head of this city at press conferences, high-fiving and cheering this dude because he had enough money to come through on a box of uh, a, a mask or gloves or, or that he was able to get 100,000 kids broadband or something like that. Like, look, I'm going to be honest with you. This whole concept of applauding billionaires for their philanthropy, you could have that. Like, but the, 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 the price of admission is a progressive income tax. That is the price of admission. And perhaps we won't need to applaud you for, you know, a, a, for broadband because we have broadband that is publicly available um, either as a utility or heck, just free because the state can pay for it. Like, how do we get there? Right. But it's going to be harder to get there because you have billionaires busting out checks for 20 million dollars to put all of this crap on television to brainwash you into voting against your own interest. Yeah, I know. I know exactly what you're talking about. I could just see the press conference. Uh, uh, a surprise angel for the Chicago public schools, Ken Griffin, showed up. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah, I don't applaud a man for helping people (laughs) who he already hurt without any type of reconciliation. Like, that's a special type of diabolical behavior is that this man could, like, put forth a plan Applaud a plan, support a plan that would close 125 schools on black kids in Chicago. And then uh, five years later, however many years later it's been, come through with um, with a plan to give them broadband. Yeah. And we supposed to all stand up and applaud. Man, gone somewhere. Like, and by the real. way, just so you know, that broadband plan. I had a lot of fun with this. I read the, the article in the Tribune. It's four years. It wouldn't be fully implemented for another four years. This guy, I'm telling you on tangent, has made his fortune on the ability to make an instant trade, a trade on a second. That's how he's made his billions. <laughs> the broadband system in Chicago public schools, four years, it's going to... Man, if Ken Griffin had the same kind of computer system as some of the kids in Chicago public school, he'd be waiting four years to finish that trade. Man, so, you, no, Ken Griffin packed up his company and moved to Florida. During the worst part of the pandemic. Was not aware of that. Yeah. Aware of that. So this uh, is what I'm saying about these people. Why why does he get an applause in the Chicago Teachers Union? Hardworking people who are who are who who are like duct taping the safety net. School community to school community. Why do we have to face ridicule and we propping this this creep up? Like, really, like stuff is upside down. It is completely upside down. And that is one of the things about this, quote, cancel 
culture, this this quote, you know, social media culture is that like creeps like him don't get a free pass on editorial pages. Like people just go for it and they are able to provide experience. They are able to uh, vocalize the disgust that they have to put facts forward. Right. Because who where where is the newspaper article that that has a headline that Ken Griffin finally tries to break the public sector, right? He, he went after our pensions. He put that creep Bruce Rauner in office. He dropped $20 million for that creeps campaign. Remember? Yeah, yeah I remember. <laughs> it may have been more than 20 million, but your point's well taken. Was, but you get my point. Yeah. Like he is a bad actor, but where's the exposure to him? Where's the got you to him? But we, we, we blame teachers and their unions for keeping people alive? My God. Well, it, it, uh, that is the narrative in Illinois. That is the narrative in Chicago. That was a threat of a teacher strike from the powerful teachers union that forced uh, Lori Lightfoot to pull back. And, um, and she should have so- already known better. You know, she walking around in people's garages telling them to get in the house and stuff, you know, harassing black kids on uh, on playgrounds. You know, she should have been able to say this ain't going to work. And, and this is what we're going to do to make it work instead of waiting to the last minute. And stuff like that has reverberations because the system itself is not ready to do what it's supposed to do. You know, they just hired a teacher. At my at my um, at, at my daughter's school, um, because the teacher that she was supposed to have took a leave because of pre-existing health issues, right? Um, she took a leave because of pre-existing health issues because she felt like she was going to be in front of kids in the middle of a pandemic, so she had to protect herself. And God bless her for understanding that, right? And so, because it took so long to process the leave, they were just able to hire a temporary teacher, but the temporary teacher was just hired this week, like days ago. So, like, the lack of living in reality and planning for the obvious has impacts on the operation and the process of a school. Well, I think that's part of the when I think about what's wrong with the culture of public education in Chicago. And I've said this to you many times is that there's this division between the teachers and the leaders of the public school and the mayor. And there's this antagonistic attitude. I've seen it now. It goes it really goes back to uh, in the aftermath of the Olympic debacle. Daly turned on the teachers union. Rom thought that was his key to a higher office. Uh, and Lori Lightfoot has continued this and why i do i say this all the time stacy i do not know why uh, uh janice jackson did not call you in and call jesse in or whatever way back when in, in april how do we figure this out what do we got going but no it was this typical top-down thing where an ultimatum was delivered and the teachers were not part of uh the system and it's like I always tell people, if you want to see how it works, look at what the NBA did. <laughs> Do you think the head of the NBA just told Chris Paul and LeBron James, all right, shut up and go to that bubble? They worked it out with the union. Yeah, but those are men. Those are men. There is a fundamental bias with professions that are populated um, by women. And that's not just in Chicago. That's across the board. You know, they see us as weaker. They see us as less than. And it's not just one mayor, two mayor, three mayor. It's an institutional response. It is baked in. And it is very difficult for people to extract themselves from that. I mean, they had a press conference today where the mayor of this city thanked Daly and Emmanuel for a graduation rate. And I can tell you that I ain't never seen one of them in a classroom every single day or at a kitchen table with kids every single day or, or, or a counselor or a social worker helping kids. Like literally thanked those people. But when something goes wrong, they will take out a switch and try to whoop us with it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it's just, it is absolutely insane how the air gets thinner on the fifth floor and people lose their minds. 
Wow. I, I, I did not know she did that. It's kind of funny uh, for me to listen to because Mayor Richard M. Daly was the one who, and I, this is before you came to Chicago, Stacey, uh, ended social promotion, which sent the, the uh, dropout rate soaring. Well, that, that was the, yeah, he ended social, but that's it. We're going to flunk everybody. They're flunking everybody. And, uh, and then uh, when old boy Arnie Duncan came in, they relaxed, they, wow, they went the other way. So they just wanted to graduate everybody. So we got rid of social promotion. Guess what, Stacy? Uh, graduation rates are improving. So they'll say anything in the city of Chicago. All right. We'll close it by asking you on a personal level. How are you dealing with this? You talked about being a mom and uh, having kids at home. Uh, talk about what it's like for you uh, and other parents like you. Well, a few things. Um, you know, I, I thank God every morning that when I wake up, because I think I know even more so in the last six months how temporary um, this life is that we live. And so I am thankful, you know, to God that, you know, the people closest to me ha um, have been healthy throughout this pandemic. Um, I've had some family members catch it where it was, you know, a little scary. Um, and they're still with us. So I, I would say gratitude is what is the priority. Um, and it is, um, been cool because I've gotten, you know, to being in, um, my family space more than, you know, I'm able to when I work in the office. Um, and <laughs> it's still been a challenge. Um, I was a high school teacher. I was not an elementary school teacher and kindergartners are a whole trip. Um, so look, you know, I have to repeat back to myself, um, that number one, this is a pandemic. It ain't normal and do the best that I can. And then I have to transfer that to my, my children and my husband. Um, we sit in a circle and we ask each other two questions. Um, how are you? What do you need? Um, we pray together. Um, and we try to keep some semblance of gratitude and love for one another. Now it's hard. We're human beings. We are as imperfect as they come. And, you know, we wake up every day and we try it again. Um, but it's, it's tough. You know, um, I wanted to like give my parents groceries delivered because I don't live in the same city, but in the zip code that they live in, groceries aren't delivered, but they're delivered in other people's zip codes. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So, you know, my mother has a preexisting health issue and she's supposed to go to the grocery store. You know what I'm saying? So there are, there are just all types of inequities that have been laid even more bare um, that I think have emboldened me, um, made me more resolute in the work that we have to do to ameliorate those inequities, be it an economic one, an educational one, or um, one with racial disparities. We just have to continue to do the work. Um, but just, you know, trying to live in a space that's grateful for health and opportunity and space to help transform um, some of the God awful things that people have to endure in this country. All right, Stacy. Uh, and I just want to do a little promotion here. Uh, Stacy's brother, Henry is going to be coming on the show. Uh, he's going to talk uh, at length about uh, his battle with COVID. Thank God he, uh, he, he he's doing great now. Uh, oh, but, he told you about it. See, oh, that yeah. was one. Hey, and my brother has a pre-existing health issue. Um, and so when I tell you um, the type of fear um, and anxiety that, you know, came over, you know, many members of my family and he's my little brother, um, that that was tough. Yeah, he's uh, he's your little brother. He's a dear friend of the show and he's coming on next week and we're going to our uh, talk at length at, uh, about what he went through. And, and as I said, uh, all is well with Henry. So, uh, Stacy, uh, my thoughts go out to you and your family, stay safe, stay sound, and uh, we'll talk to you real soon. All right. Hey, I appreciate you and you stay safe and you stay sound and blessings to you and your family. I appreciate this opportunity. And Dennis, likewise to you. Stay safe, man. All right. Very good. That's Stacy Davis Gates. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody.